So? Waiting on our guest. Oh, there he is. You sure? It, yeah, I see it's trying to connect. Takes a long way to uh, hook up to Norway, I guess. There we go. I can see somebody anyway. Wait, is it the good looking one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to refrain. I'm, I'm just going to assume that's me. Yeah, right. How's it going, Bear? It's going fine, guys. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing well, good. man. So this is uh, this is going to be a little different than ones you've done in the past, Bear. Um, I know you've done some other podcasts. Uh, you did one with Houndsman XP, didn't you? Yeah, I did one with uh, with those guys a while back. Uh, yeah, about a year ago, I guess. And that's kind of how you and I hooked up, and we've just kind of stayed in touch for a little while now, you know, because we've got uh, some common interests in this fox hunting thing, but you you don't do it here. <laughs> No, uh, I will at some point, but uh, I haven't done it yet. Right. And you're out of Norway, right? I am, yeah. I'm originally from Maine, uh, so, but I uh, have lived here for the last 15 years. What's that close uh, to? Where, where, where is that located? Norway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got, the, I got the name. Yeah, where's what, the country? <laughs> what's it closest to? Uh, what, what it's closest to. Um. It is all the way out on the coast of Northern Europe. Okay. So it uh, borders to Sweden, Finland, and Russia. Ah. I got an uncle that moved out to Sweden. Okay. What made you move out to Norway? Uh, what else would make you move a to girl. the A girl. World? <laughs> <laughs> a girl. <laughs> yeah. No, I was a it was a girl who has now been my wife for the last twelve years. So, uh, so it was I'm worth the move. I'm not I'm not regretting it yet. Put it that way. <laughs> not yet. That's awesome. Well, then, so you meet her in the states. She came over and, and dragged you back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We uh, we were both working for Outward Bound. Um, what, what's that? Which is an expeditionary base. Uh, it's like an expedition-based um school we would take uh we would take youth anywhere from the ages of 14 up into i i guess well we did some adult courses as well but what what our focus was was the uh kids between 14 and 18 uh taking them out on long expeditions to two three-week expeditions uh in the in the main woods uh backpacking canoeing rock climbing that kind of thing Oh wow! And it's a it's a great program, and we were both working there when we uh, when we met each other, and we'd uh, we'd both been uh, we'd both been in Alaska doing some dog sledding stuff, so that's what kind of got us got us chatting, and the rest is as they say, history. <laughs> right on. So what's the uh, what's the regulations like being a non-resident, or do you have do you have your residency over there now, and you know what? What does that look like for you? I'm a resident alien now. So yeah, I've got like, I've got the equivalent of what, what would be a green card there. Okay. Um, so I'm able to vote in all of the local elections, but not in the bigger, bigger elections, which suits me fine. I'd rather vote. I'd rather vote in the American elections anyway. Right. It's coming up. Don't forget. As far as, what did you say? I said, it's coming up. Don't forget if you're, if you're <laughs> voting. 
I've already sent in my absentee ballot. I'm right all I'm all over it. Perfect. Um, so what what kind of hunting license? What does that look like for your hunting over there? Um, the process of getting a hunting license over here was actually fairly complicated. Um, I didn't do I came to hunting late in life, so it wasn't something I did really any of when I was in the States. Um, but I, I went through hunter safety as part of a as part of a summer camp I had gone to and uh, was uh, was able to get a license without problems. But when I came here as I had to take a 30 hour hunter safety course. Whoa. And then pass a uh, an accuracy test with a shotgun and then an accuracy test with a rifle. And then every year before I'm able to hunt anything bigger than a rabbit, I need to take, I need to redo the accuracy test with a rifle. Yeah, that's what wow. I, was, I was getting that was in, my uncle was telling me in Sweden, you had to, I think, I think over there, he had to do the same thing where you had to, you had to prove that you could shoot um, really good, you know, accurate before they let you hunt big game. Yeah, they do. Uh, which is, you know, on the one hand, I think is pretty, I, I like it. You know, I, it, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, you know, the, what they're asking you to shoot is basically the size of a paper plate at about a hundred yards. And you've got to shoot, you've got five shots and you've got to get all five shots within that paper plate. Yeah. Sounds you don't want to shoot a 300. You don't want to have to shoot a 300 rum on that. On that fourth or fifth shot, you start psyching yourself out. <laughs> I can tell yeah. you. Yeah. I got three good ones and then four and five, it goes to, to it goes to hell. That, that killed me the first time I shoot a, I shoot an old, uh, an old, World War II era Mauser, okay. 30 out six, and uh, the the hunting test you have to take with your with your hunting ammunition. And I shoot a, I shoot a 200 grain nozzler, Ooh. and the uh, 30 out six 200 grain nozzler. I'm telling you that third and fourth shot, they're rough. They're rough, man. <laughs> Hold your breath. You just psych yourself out. Yeah. Chicken out. Back off the trigger. Lean was... into it. Oh. Exactly. No. Exactly. Pop some aspirin. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can appreciate again. that. Yeah. I, I was out there. I actually put a, a muzzle brake on my, my rum this year and I've never done it before. I actually enjoy shooting that gun. Now <laughs> it used to be just like a big old cannon stick that you just point and shoot. And if you get close <laughs> enough, things fall down, but I, the air, like just from the bullet whizzing by them will knock them down half the yeah, time. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Now exactly. I got that, that muzzle brake. It's loud as hell, but I enjoy it. And I'm like, damn, I can shoot more than three times. Like, yeah. Back in the day, it was like three shots. It was, it was, you know, I had it. I could, I could psych myself in good enough to get just three of them right in there. And on the fourth and fifth one, man, who knows? I was, I was closing my eyes and pulling the trigger. It felt like so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, is there like restrictions as far as? the type of means of take you have there? I mean, is there like a caliber restriction or like is yeah. it split into seasons like here in the state via weapon? Um, no, or uh, not exactly. What, what they, how they've done it is they do break it down in caliber and they, they, but they've broken it into two different categories. There's what they like small game and then large game. Hmm. And to hunt large game, you need to have something that is bigger than what is it going to be? I guess it's going to be like a 
30-30. Sure. Like- is about as low as you're going to want to go with, with large game. Um, and that, you know, then large game species here, we're talking, um, you know, like the red stag. So like the European wapiti and um, the uh, roe deer, moose, fallow deer. How, uh, how big boar. red stag? How, how are they comparable to an elk or? Um, they look a lot like an elk. They're, they're sort of, not so distant cousin of elk, but they're not as big. You know, a Roosevelt elk is going to be twice the size of a red stag. But, you know, the red stags are, they'll be the size of a, a mule deer, maybe. No kidding. Yeah, yeah they get they get pretty pretty big. Well, I, I, was, I was thinking they were bigger. Like, I always assumed they were the size of an elk, so. Yeah, no, they, they, they look like it. Their, their antlers are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like ridiculous, you know, looking at a, looking at a, like a Roosevelt elk or something, you know, you can, you look at the antlers and you think, how is that body able to, able to support that? And then you look at these guys, like when you get a real big full grown red deer, you get even more of that feeling. I mean, it's it's like the thickness of the beams goes all the way to the top. You know, it's the thickness of my arms. They're, they're just massive. Like they should just tip over. They really should. It's unbelievable. And yet um, they can anyway, move. Like they can run. Oh my God. It's it's unbelievable. I I bumped into one. Gosh, what day is it today? Thursday today? Thursday. I was out on Sunday and I just sat down. I was looking for roe deer and um a big red stag came running by me at about 20 yards. And I called uh I called a buddy who I knew was hunting down the valley and asked, did you, did you bump a red stag? And he said, yeah. And he was, he was probably a mile and a half from where I was. And he had bumped that red stag probably 1500 feet lower than where I was sitting. Not, hmm. not 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, they just, they can hook it man. running up these hills and where I live, it's, it's steep. It's uh, it is unpleasant terrain to move in, and those they just fly through it. It's unbelievable. So, what uh, given give me an idea of how big of an area is Norway and how populated? I mean, get, get, describe what it's like living over there. Um, it's fairly small, not a huge population. I think there's only I, I still think we're under five million people um, in total. Um, it's a long, very long country, but it's not a, it's not wide. Um, it's, we've got some, uh, a very long coastline. How long? But then, oh gosh. Miles, not, not kilometers. Bring back. Yeah. Name. Not, not kilometers. Let's not talk kilometers. Here. It's like a pop quiz geography lesson. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, you're kind of embarrassing me here. I don't know. I, I could throw out. <laughs> I'll Wikipedia it. Don't worry. I'll, I'll pull it up here for us. <laughs> How good you are, man. How wide is it? I mean, can you, I mean, you're 30 miles, 20 miles. At some uh, spots, it's not much more, not much more than a few hundred. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a narrow, it's a narrow country. But if you okay. put a pin, if you put a pin in Oslo and rotated it down, you'd get all the way down into Southern Europe. So it's, it's a long, long country. Okay. Um, a lot of varied terrain, you know, farther down, farther down south, you're going to get open farmlands and some, some nice open flat places. And then where I live, it's, it's, we're up in the mountains and it's, 
um, it's cold and it's steep. How how tall are your your elevation rate rise and gain? Um, right now, I, I'm right now our house I guess is about forty eight. That be. Gosh, you're making me. You're do thinking all kilometers. Right? kilometers yeah. I'm, I'm thinking meters. Yeah. Meters. Uh oh. We're gonna have to get a. We'll get Google out for you. Just give it. Just spit it out in meters, and we'll we'll convert it for you. Let's let's say about twelve hundred feet. Twelve hundred uh, feet is okay. where is where I'm at above sea level. Yeah. And then within, and then it just kind of keeps going straight up. So I think the highest point is about six thousand feet, something like that, in my in my vicinity. And then you know you yeah. get farther inland, and uh, you get to some of the bigger mountain ranges like. Um, Jutenheimen and Hardongivida, and you end oh. up um, you end up with some pretty pretty Those gnarly are, peaks. I mean, that's a, a, a pretty aggressive climb, you know, five thousand foot. You got is there good road systems in there? Or? Yeah, a lot of good road systems in here, so it's a lot of good access. Um, Norway's got this great thing where um, unless you're doing damage, uh, it, they've got a few places where they don't allow motorized vehicle motorized vehicles but more or less if you stay on established road systems which there are a lot of um you can really go anywhere you want hmm. is it so public we, land i mean or is it um, like a co-op amongst private land ownerships or some kind of incentive it's it's mostly public land there are some there are some quite quite a bit of private land i guess as well but it's just very different rules um here they they did not want to have the conflicts with the public landowners and private landowners um you know in, in terms of getting places access to access to resources that kind of thing um so it's it's extremely lucrative for the you know for your average joe um but in terms of, um, it, you know, it, it makes it so easy for me because I don't have to, I don't have to think, I don't, I don't have to think permission when I go, if my, you know, if one of my dogs goes, you know, goes on a roundabout and is gone, I don't have to start thinking about permission to go and get him. You can just get to him. I can just go in and get him. You know, I've, I've gone into people's yards and been like, you know, good morning. I'm out of here without having to really worry about, you know, any repercussions of having my dog there, assuming that they behave themselves. Boy, that'd be nice. Yeah. Tell me about it. I was, uh, that was a pain in, that was a pain in the States. You know, I didn't have, I've had Huskies all these years and boy, that was, that was a pain. Mm -hmm. That was a pain having to go and get them when they got out. So what do you hunt now? Um, with the dogs, I'm hunting fox. Okay. Um, otherwise I hunt, uh, mainly roe deer, which is a, a small species of deer. It's kind of like the Sika deer in Maryland. Okay. Um, now, so before we get to your hunt, now, one more question. What was the one thing when you, when you went to Norway and you got there that you weren't expecting coming from, from the U S what's the one thing you were like, you didn't get the memo on when you showed up. I'll tell you from mine. <laughs> Cause I went to uh, uh, Ireland. I was working for Intel and I went over to Ireland for, it was like three weeks or four weeks to work on a, on a project. 
and I, I did not get the memo that ketchup was like, a, and there was no tomatoes over there. So I was at, at the cafeteria, you know what I mean? And, and got my French fries and I got some of that ketchup and their ketchup tastes like crap. I mean, compared to ketchup over here. <laughs> so I get there and I get my ketchup and, and you know, it's free over here. You just grab what ketchup you want and want and I sit down at the table and I had some to bring home back with me to the, to the hotel. Cause everywhere you went, there was no ketchup. So I grabbed, you know, 10 packets of that. And the guy sit down and go, Holy shit, buddy. You just gonna, you like buying ketchup. I'm like, what do you mean buying ketchup? <laughs> They're like, Oh no, you didn't pay for that. I'm like, no, I, I thought it was free. So, so that was my whole thing is that, you know, if I go back to Ireland, I'm bringing some Heinz 57 ketchup yeah, right? and with me because it was just <laughs> ketchup. And so, so anyways, I, I, I always, I always laugh about that. Everyone's picking on me because I, you know, you had your ketchup packets there at the in the condiment section, and 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 that wasn't free. Apparently, you had to pay twenty five cents a packet over there in Ireland. And really, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> I just pocketed them, and I was like, oh no, they're gonna come looking for you now. <laughs> so, what was the one thing that that you went over there that you were like, the culture was different or something? Tell me one story you got that you were like, huh, that was that was not expected. Well, I. The the thing for me was was beer. That's a big thing. Oh man, that was that was a kick in the teeth. You know, because I I showed up and you know I I was a fan of beer from before long. You know, yeah. And I could go and buy a six pack of the best, you know, a- any expensive microbrew, whatever, in the states for yeah. the same price that it would cost me to buy a single bottle of you know rat urine cheap <laughs> disgustingness here <laughs> no kidding it is so expensive it is so expensive a, a a glass a small glass not even a pint a small glass at a bar is gonna run you about 10 or 11 dollars u.s u.s dollars yeah you can keep it yeah, I was like, you know, I really like beer, but I don't like beer that that much. So you don't drink anymore. You should just uh, ship it in. What's the import rules? Can you just ship them in by the pallet? No, you get to get stopped at the. I, believe me, I've looked into it. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, yeah, that's wow. a rough one. So that was rough. And then the other thing, oddly, like I didn't. You realize that you have an affection for things that you never knew you had an affection for when you suddenly don't have them. And one of those things was bagels. Ketchup. One of those yeah, things ketchup. ketchup. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I didn't realize I had affection for ketchup until there was no ketchup. <laughs> you didn't realize ketchup was a big deal. Did you say bagels? Yeah. They just don't make them? They just don't make them. Dang. Wow. We need to send you a care package, dude. Oh, man. My, my folks, they found out about that. and. Boy, I got a bunch of bagels. The, the, the worst one was they sent a package right before this whole Corona thing hit. And then the mail showed right, slowed way down and everything got scanned. So that package took about four months to get here. And that had some, that had some cheddar cheese in there. There was a, eight or nine packages of bagels in there. That package was gnarly. Oh, Lord. By the time it showed up. So not oh. only did you like, you're like, oh, I got the bagels. Now they're rotten bagels. Salt in the wound. Right, exactly. It's like, well, now they've also ruined everything else in the package. No, it wasn't that bad. But it's, uh, yeah, bagels. You would think that that would not be a difficult thing to uh, find. They sell, like, the Philadelphia cream cheese. They sell a ton of that here. What, what do they put it on? <laughs> what's, what's it used for? Exactly. 
what the hell are they using it for? shrimp cocktail yeah cheesecake i guess they're bigger than cheesecake over here so oh that's funny well, i knew there was something you know like i said when you travel across sometimes you you and you just don't think about it you head over there and you're like do to do to do and you're like oh wait what, what do you mean like trying to get a, a ketchup packet from from the burger king over there <laughs> in ireland i can tell you what when you're like hey can i get some ketchup they're like one packet and i'm like no no really like, <laughs> right. keep it coming keep, wrap it up keep it uh, going so anyways all right so when you got over there you started hunting when you got over there so you didn't hunt in the states i didn't really hunt at all in the states no um my uh you know my father was a former hippie full-blown anti-hunter back you know back when i was a kid mother was the same way um you know i grew up in a very anti-hunting household but we they had an organic farm and we raised our own meat so by the time i got over here i missed that you know i missed the quality the high quality protein sources that we from raising our own meat yeah but i'm not the biggest fan of pigs to be perfectly honest having grown up feeding them <laughs> uh so I was trying to think of different ways I could get this good quality meat here. And and that's the other thing is that beef over here is absurdly expensive. Hmm. Absurd, like $40, $50 a pound for a halfway decent steak. What? Yeah. Like I'm not, not even joking. It's ridiculously. So that wasn't, you know, that wasn't an option either for me anyway. I'm not about to pay for Fifty dollars for a steak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, between get a belt. beer and a steak, and here's like a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> right, half, exactly. half a beer and a steak. Yeah, right. Give me half a beer and a bite of steak, and I'll uh, I'll give you twenty five dollars. Yeah, here's yeah. twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that kind of got that was what got me thinking about um the hunting. My uncle was always a hunter, um, and I always enjoyed going over there and hearing his stories and and eating eating the game uh that he had shot um those those two things that kind of that motivated me to uh, to start hunting at a later later point in my life than a lot of people do i think how old were you the first time i went hunting here i guess i was 29 wow how long did it take you to get successful over there oh successful i wouldn't say that i'm <laughs> successful now He's still working at it, buddy. Still I'm, I'm still working on it, man. I uh, we don't want to rub salt in the wound, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, there, the, I I had a bad experience last week. Put it that way. I wasn't gonna bring it up. <laughs> yeah, you were. We we, we chatted uh, back and forth a little on that. We chatted deal. a little bit back and forth about it. No, I shot at a uh, I shot at a roe deer. I saw it. It was a spot and stock situation. I saw it from about 400 yards. And the the Mauser that I shoot is open sights. I like the open sights. There's a lot of tight vegetation around me, so I like having the I like having the uh, the ability to sort of see see my keep it tabs on my surroundings while I'm while I'm shooting. Um, I I was able to stalk into about 40 yards of this 40 50 yards of this buck, maybe a little more 60 maybe, and fired. And he he sort of looked up and i was like you know i was sure that i'd hit him because he didn't start to run so i i fired again and he just kind of leisurely walked 
you know, exited stage right at a leisurely stroll. I, I don't know whether he had just pegged me as just a horrible shot or what had happened, <laughs> but he, uh, he walked so slowly that I was sure I'd hit him. And I spent the next three days with blood trailing dogs. I was going to say, how many dogs did you end up dragging out there by the end? Of oh, it? my God. There were three different dogs that I dragged in there. The guy, the, the blood trailing guys aren't even taking my calls anymore. <laughs> they won't even answer no more. They're like, whatever, dude. If it, makes, they're like, oh, that's if it makes you feel better, I had a buddy like that that used to call us every year to blood trail something. Okay. And finally, it got to the point where it's like, have you even found the blood yet? Nope. I said, well, when you find the blood, you call me and I'll come help you out. <laughs> right. <laughs> huh. Yeah. No, that was, I, I, I still am kind of scratching my head on that one. I think I got cocky. You know, that would have been my, I think that would have been my fifth deer. And I was just kind of didn't take the time I think I needed to take, even on a short shot like that. Um, you know, it was, I was breathing hard after a, like I said, rough terrain. I'd moved pretty quick to getting close to it. I, I think I just, yeah, kind of a live and learn situation there, I guess. Yeah. But I got him on a trail camera though. So he's still alive running around. Oh, he's still alive. Unhurt. Just laughing. At you. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've nicknamed him. One of the guys looking for him uh, knows my name is Barry. My real name is Barry. And they thought about calling him that naming the deer that but thought that was too mean so he's now called gary so i get updates <laughs> from the local the local hunters on oh we saw gary yesterday oh that's funny well yeah. I, but you guys can run hounds on all kinds of different stuff over there right like moose and yeah that i swear when i saw that youtube video or the that was floating around on facebook have you guys seen it where the guy shoots the moose and it like basically falls in his lap yeah, didn't oh. I send you that video? I think you sent it to yeah. me. Yeah, have you seen it, buddy? Yeah, I think so. That when that that they had the dog chase. There was one dog chasing the moose, and yeah, they yeah. shoot, and the moose charges him. Yeah, he like drops it right there in his lap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I see that, yeah. and I'm like, that. First of all, it's crazy. I had to make sure it wasn't bear because I'm like, yeah, that's how he's gonna die someday. We've had conversations how of how bear is gonna go out. <laughs> Um, you need to shoot better at 40 yards that's what i'm gonna tell you right now don't go chasing that moose yeah exactly i think i sent that video and said uh this is how i'm gonna die if this was me I, i'd be dead <laughs> yeah exactly and, and we needed to find a dry cleaner <laughs> exactly yeah exactly that guy the last shot that put that moose down was i i think at it had to be under five meters oh, i mean it, it was, was super short it was so short yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I was at a pretty low point when somebody sent me that video. So it was like, yeah, I'd still miss. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but dead. that's a different style of dog altogether, isn't it? Cause I mean, oh, yeah. I, from what I'm gathering from our conversations and I hope you can enlighten us all, there's like what I consider your scent hounds, you know, like you guys are running the Fox with, which are red Fox, right? They go to ground. Yep. And then you guys have your working terriers. And then there's like mm -hmm. these whole other category of dogs that they're using for moose and crossing and like what's yeah. kind of the landscape as far as dogs. I mean, it just seems like it's pretty segregated. You know, there's, there's definitely the terrier duties and the hound duties. Can you mm -hmm. kind of tell us about that? 
Yeah, they've they've got this funny thing here where they have they they've broken it down very very specifically what dogs can chase what game. But having said that, most game can be chased by dogs. But for so, example, so, so back up, so explain that what dogs can chase what game, right? Like um, height restrictions and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So for example, roe deer. You, the dog chasing that deer cannot be more than 41 centimeters. So what is that going to be? 18 inches? Yeah, this is difficult. We need Google up right now. <laughs> I got Google up. Google you said 41, 41 centimeters? 41, is, 41 centimeters at the shoulder. All right, that's 16 inches. Look at the yep. weather. Point one. Yeah. I'm going to be specific, but 16. The, the dog that's cannot not, be That's not, that's not a very big dog, really. No, so then they they use like basset or yeah, basset hounds. They use um, dachshunds. Um, they use a Swedish breed with real short legs called a um, um, a dreivir. A what? A dreivir. I don't even think my tongue moves like that, man. <laughs> it looks like a, it looks like the cross between a basset hound and a corgi. It's a funny looking little dog. So probably like one of the cutest puppies ever. Oh, absurdly cute puppy. I, I had. Does it have like the corgi ears? Like, I mean, or is it more of the houndy looking? It's more the houndy looking ears. So they're tripping over their own ears. You know, they've got to like learn this sort of shuffle with their heads. So they whip their ears out of the way. So they're not stepping on them with their front feet. They're, they're, they're some dopey looking dogs, but hey, they, they get the job done. Yeah. Um, but then you've got like hunting predators. So fox, lynx, bear, uh, wild boars. Um, what you're looking for there is a is a trailing dog that's going to hang. You want you want the dogs that are like what what we've got like a proper, you know what I call a proper hound that's not going to <laughs> a not proper give hound. Up. I like it. Yeah, I mean, not going to give up after 20 minutes. And then when you're hunting the the moose and the red deer. What they're looking for is actually a dog that will, not so much with the moose, but with the red deer, that will give up pretty quickly and come back to you and try again. And it's the same with the roe deer. They want the, they want the dogs to give up so to not stress out the animals. They actually put a time limit on how long that dog can trail that animal, which I was, when I was on oh. a the next P podcast that blew Chris's mind because you know he was a former game warden and he just went through this whole thought of like how the hell do you enforce that? Right. It's like you know popping out behind a bush with a stopwatch and be like, oh, there's 15 minutes, boys. It just I, I kind of some can't competition hunt judge sitting the, or competition hunt judge is putting the time on him. You know. Yeah. So you got 15 uh, minutes between turning a dog loose and and killing it. Killing yeah. And I mean, no, eh, that is technically what they're going for with the breeding there. I have never, ever heard where that has been enforced, huh. but it's, it's just to a, limit the a stress. Short, yeah. A, a, a short, what, what do they call it? I can't even get my slippers off of my boots on in 15 minutes. That's still my slippers I mean, I when can, I start. Well, you wear flip-flops, buddy. You flip can get them off faster. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. My, my dog is still peeing on bushes. And, taking crap 
after yeah. 15 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, you get that shit out. We only got 15 yeah. minutes there. <laughs> Pitch right. it up. The Let's clock. go. Come on, Buzz. The clock is ticking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's... Um, but then they've got the moose dogs, which are um, they tend to be kind of the spitz type type dogs. So they use um, the Norwegian elk hounds. That's yeah. what was in that video, wasn't it? Looked like an elk hound. Yeah, I think that was a Norwegian elk hound or maybe a Swedish elk hound. Yeah, it was some kind um, of like yeah. husky looking dog. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, it was not yeah. a hound. Yeah, you guys run exactly. like the Finnish spits and the smaller stuff too, or just the larger yep. ones? Um, they do use a lot of the smaller stuff too. The people who hunt who hunt moose, I don't know many people that don't use the um the Norwegian or the Swedish elk hounds. I guess I I know a couple people who use uh what are they called? Siberian Lycus. Mm. That might have been what they, was they in look that. like they look like huskies. Yeah, that might have been what was in that video. That could have been, yeah. So we'll be equal opportunity offenders here because I'm sure you're going to talk about dogs from the U.S. too. But so here's my question. If you've got a dog that's only allowed to run for 15 minutes. Yeah. A, how do you train a dog with such little opportunity? And B, how good of a dog? I mean, what was the measuring point of whether this is a good working dog or this is something that maybe needs cold out of the breeding program when it's it's such a specified test i mean i guess how would you go about that there's there's no test that you could really do and the the rule was not the rule was not born out of an existing breed of dog you know what i'm saying it's not like it's not like there were these breeds of dogs that did the specific thing and they were like, okay, well let's accommodate the rules to fit this specific breed. This was, uh, this was to my, my understanding of it. This was way before my time, but my understanding of it, that this was some bureaucratic baloney that I don't know anybody. I have not talked to a single person that has ever given two hoots about that. Rule. So it's, just, it's a, a rule that was passed, but, not by not the really. hunters so the hunters are not not necessarily not in favor by, of that rule it's not something not, that, not necessarily in favor of the rule the height restrictions there's not a lot of people i know that are really in in favor of that uh you know because you can end up you can end up with a, two dogs from the same litter and one of them's allowed to run the other one's not just mm-hmm. because of a you know an inch difference in their in their shoulder height uh that's wild. so it, it does get pretty wild. It gets it gets pretty ridiculous sometimes, but at the same time, the the game wardens they, for the very most part, you know, they're not ignoring the rules, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, they're they're most of them are hunters themselves. They don't. They're not going to be. You know, it'd be like giving somebody a ticket for jaywalking. It's like, yeah, you could do it, but it is enforceable, but it's not actively being enforced kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Until now, then they come knock on your Until door. Until now when I've uh, op- let the cat out of the bag, but the height, yeah. uh I will say that that the height lock rule is enforced. Hmm. Cuz they can that easily is... check it in the field. Exactly. And it's, you know, you're you're checking one one dog and then that dog is you know, you've got the entirety of that dog's life. Because you don't run a pack, right? I mean, it's pretty much single dog. 
that is the other thing here in Norway that is super different from the United States, and that is that you are only allowed to let a single animal loose at one time. Per hunter, or is, like if you're in a hunting party with five other guys, can you turn six dogs loose, or does it have to just be one per? It is one per per group, technically. So oh. you, you'll, you'll get people who will claim that they're not in the same group and just let their dogs loose, you know, three or 400 yards from each other. Right. Uh, that usually does not end well for anybody um, because that is something that they enforce. You know, they, the, the bottom line of, of, of the Norwegian uh, rules for, for hunting specifically is that they view the animals as a resource. Mm-hmm. And at no point should an animal suffer unnecessarily. Gotcha. And part of that is they've actually they've actually included psychological suffering into that category, where you know a deer being run by say something the size of my town for several hours in the fall, going into some fairly hard winters that that animal is going to suffer enough trauma to make it difficult to get through the winter. I don't really have an opinion about how how legit that is, but I can see the point. Now, what is it? Is it treated differently with predators? It is. Yeah. Predators, you can use virtually any type you are actually i don't i'm not to my knowledge there's not a restriction for it you can use any of the other types of dogs to hunt predators and you can use the hounds so what made you get into predator hunting then well i grew up you know i I grew up in maine in the 90s and that was right during that was during that they had a really bad rabies epidemic at that time and, you know, I got chased off the playground by rabid foxes. I know, a guy, you know, I knew a bunch of dogs that got bitten by rabid skunks. You know, rabid raccoons were all over the place. It was, it was a scary, it was scary. So he, they don't have rabies at all in Norway. It's a rabies-free country. But I had a fox out in my yard, act, middle of the day, acting so strange. And I had just started bird hunting and um in norway right in nor in here in norway okay and i took that you know i i ended up shooting that fox after it chased one of my dogs um thankfully not one of my hounds that would have been the uh, that would have been the end of that hound's career i think but uh, one of the house dogs right and um it had mange mm-hmm. which got me looking a little bit more into uh, into the fox population, some of the statistics there. I was also a little bit frustrated because I had just gotten into bird hunting and I wasn't seeing many birds, and I was kind of curious as to why that was. So I talked to some friends of mine who who work for the Norwegian Institute for Nature Research, and right. they had done a they had done a study where they had put out uh, one of the big game birds here in Norway is the ptarmigan, like a giant and pigeon, had, right? Uh, no, it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a tundra grouse. Right. Okay. Yeah. And they had put trail cams on ptarmigan nests and 70% of the nests have been raided by fox. That makes sense. That's why you ain't got no birds, right? Right. 
And I was starting to see more and more really sick, nasty looking foxes. And I was, and I, I started talking to them and they're saying, yeah, people have stopped hunting them. The population has exploded. They're killing enormous numbers of game bird and they're killing roe deer calves. And for the first time, I believe ever, last year, the fox surpassed the wolf as the leading predator of sheep or of lambs here in Norway. That's kind of wild. I, what kind of fox are they? Are they Arctic fox over there? No, they're, the, uh, they're your standard red fox. And they're taking down calves. Yeah, they've got the Arctic foxes farther north, but we don't have those here. And they're, um, these are just your standard foxes, but they're big, man. Like they're, I don't remember ever seeing a fox like the size of some of the ones I'm seeing here. What do you think they weigh over there? Because like where I'm at, a big fox, you're looking, I'm going to say seven to 11 pounds. I mean, 11 is a really big fox, it seems like. The, the female that I shot in the yard was 17 and a half. Whoa. And that was a female. The biggest fox that I have heard of in recent memory was 34 pounds. That's 34, massive. 30, yeah, 34, 35 pounds. Yeah, I mean, huge. And, and, but what's interesting is that we've, we're seeing in the northeast of the United States, once the wolf had been eradicated, the coyote started filling that ecological mm -hmm. niche. Mm -hmm. They got bigger. They started packing. Uh, the, their pack dynamic changed a little bit. They started hunting deer versus rodents and things like that. The, the northern coyote became almost a different species than their like New Mexico counterpart, hmm. um, where they're, they're nearly 40% bigger. And the same thing has happened here in Norway, where they, they have more or less eradicated all other predators. Um, especially the wolf. And I, I have to think that the fox is sort of just taking, taking a little bit more space in the ecological ladder. Just climbing up a rung. It seems like, it, yeah, because they're, they're big. I mean, they're real big here. And there's a lot of them. You know, I can, the, 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 I've got a young dog right now, and my biggest issue with him is that what I would like him to do is when he gets a when he gets a fox to go to ground, I would like him to stand and and bark, you know, or a tree until I get there. Mm -hmm. But I'm having a little bit of a hard time teaching him to do that because he knows that if he does, once that fox goes to ground, his job is done. I'm going to be coming in there maybe with a terrier if I've got one available to me that day. So he will just take another round. You know, he'll do he'll do a a, a loop, you know, a hundred yard loop, and almost every time he'll pick up another trail. Is there just that many foxes there? They're just they're everywhere. They're wow. everywhere. I put out I put out a I put out some bait because foxes you're allowed to hunt over bait. I put out some bait in preparation for a fox hunting course like a fox hunting seminar mm -hmm. that they asked me to help out with and i had expected that you know usually you put out bait usually you have to wait you know two or three nights before the first few will come in and you know a week or 10 days before they're consistently coming in if you leave them alone 
I went out there the next day and we'd gotten a dusting of snow and I found the tracks from seven different boxes after the first night. Hmm. We're talking five or six hours after I'd put that bait out there. What kind of bait were you using? Just dog food. Just dog food. <laughs> yeah, just like dog food sprinkled in the snow. And they were all over it. That's wild. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really crazy. Yeah. So you've got lots of opportunity then to at least train them, like expose your dogs to scent. Like they know what they're chasing. Oh, yeah. Pretty early. Oh, absolutely. And it made it, you know, it made it so easy. It made it so easy to break him from trash, mm-hmm. from running trash, because I could pull him off of whatever he was running that he wasn't supposed to be running. And, and within the next half hour, have him on some relatively hot box track. Um, from when he was a, when he was a young pup, so he was, you know, I got, he, he's a much better dog than I am a trainer at this point. Um, and, and I think that a lot of that has to do with just that he's a kind of a, he's a talented individual, but also that I, I live in a place with a lot of foxes that have not been harassed. You know, that's part of it is that these, I can go down south to areas with maybe a few more fox hunters uh, who hunt with hounds and the foxes will tend to run because they've learned that if they go into the ground, they're going to have a terrier on pretty quickly. But they haven't learned that here. Gotcha. So they they go right down and they go right down into into their dens. And there's a lot of them here. There's a lot of big, this is very glacial terrain. So there's a lot of big piles of boulders and things like that that they will uh they will climb down into. And um it without a without a terrier, it's hard to get them out of there. It's funny you mentioned like the trash breaking, because I mean, buddy, your dogs are straight bobcat dogs for the most part cat i should say cat dogs right yeah. like they haven't ran bears they have they don't run any other I, game i break off for bears i don't i don't break off a raccoon but i don't run them do you do you think that that's because you're focusing so much on one species because yeah like i noticed when i started running one species primarily like i can count on one hand the amount of trash problems i had compared to like when i was running coons and fox and bears and, and everything with the same dogs it seemed like you were just hoping and praying that it was a quote-unquote good track so <laughs> I, I'm well, just, I, did, I, I i don't know that i've limited the amount of trash races i've had but i've just been able to identify them quicker quicker yeah i'm like yeah it's not right i can i can just feel it or i can i can so i can just tell when they're messing with the coyote versus Back when I ran everything, they did everything so well that it all sounded the same. And yep. so it was probably me just not knowing also. But now I can kind of be like, and I'm not always 100%, but I can, I can kind of scold. You can stop them. it before it's a problem. Right. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so what? Like right now, probably not. But if I take them out, then they just go. They're so, they were barking at me today. I drove past and I took their like barking at me because i took their truck i was like they're ready to go i know they're it's open season now so is is it open season i was just gonna ask is it open season for you guys pursuit season pursuit season starts september right now there's some deer hunters out there so i haven't like i don't know i need to get back out there probably next week okay Um, yeah 
but buddy has to drive aways because he's he's on the washington side so he comes over and hunts oregon and uh, okay yeah, yeah 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 and they closed with the fires over here the, the big area i go is closed still so it's not yeah, okay no well, that's uh that's tough man how, how often do you hurt. get out to mess with the dogs there oh me i'm out I'm out hunting three or four days a week, uh, out with the dogs to, I try to get them out two or three days a week. Um, once, once I've got my last deer, I'd like to get one more deer. Once that one's, once that's down and, and dusted, I will, um, my focus will turn almost exclusively to the hounds. Because the fox hunting season here, it takes a break right in that kind of pregnancy, early puppyhood stage where they're so dependent on their moms. Mm -hmm. So from mid-April until mid-July, we can't hunt. We can't pursue. We can't do anything. But from mid-July until mid-April, we are we're able to pursue and kill uh, the entire year. So the only thing that uh, the, the limiting factor for for a lot of houndsmen uh, is is just the temperature. You know, it is it's a cold, snowy country here, and that becomes even you know even if you you like a little bit of snow because you can put them on some real fresh hot tracks, they they still tend to get frostbite and things like that. So um, that's what made me go with. Uh, I've got a running walker, and she. Uh, She's usually done by mid-December, is by the time it gets too cold for her. But this, uh, the the youngster I've got is is a little bit different stuff, and he's uh, he can go all winter without any problem. Hmm. How hardy your dogs? Yeah, he's a hardier dog, and he's got a little bit better coat. Um, I wouldn't call him a long-haired hound in any way, but he's uh, it's just a thicker, it's a thicker coat. It's he's a he's a Russian. He's a Russian hound, which um, is a hound that was developed out of bloodhounds. This Russian Laika dog that I was talking about, the Siberian Laika dog, that gave them that that two that two layer coat, that, those coarse outer hairs, and that thick that thick wool on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to give them some speed and some height, uh, they put in some borzoi and created this uh, this long legged lanky decently coated hound and he's uh he's able to handle you know even he has his limits you know but his limits are about where my limits are you know once we get down to about 10 below we're both ready to go inside <laughs> sounds cold it is cold man yeah norway is a norway is a cold place <laughs> yeah well so, cool we're, we're getting well, up pretty uh, close yeah. to our our timer here buddy yeah cool we we got any, yeah we're getting close i mean we can keep going if if you guys want yeah i'm game with uh i'm game for i'm having fun did you have yeah. any questions buddy as far as i know you and i had talked a little bit about maybe getting into some some scenting conditions uh i'm just curious to hear maybe your perspective and bear's perspective on on scenting conditions in the cold versus you know the kind of style you guys do over there where it is so ice cold versus where we're hunting because i think it was um oh which interview was it we were talking about 
snow hunting versus this dry ground lion stuff and how a lot of the scenting conditions in some ways are almost similar. Uh, yeah. Would you find that you get to run very old tracks over there? I mean, what is the definition of a cold track where you're at versus, you know, something over our way in this little wetter climate, not so cold? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that question would be. You know, I, I, I don't know what, you know, I've listened to all of, you know, all of your guys' podcasts and, and you know, uh, listening to some of these old timers talk about, you know, the, the Lee brothers and running three and four day old tracks. And I know Brett has gotten on some pretty old stuff and been able to, uh, been able to untangle it and get it, get it, get it up and moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have no reason to think that any of the stuff that we've gotten on has ever been that old, but I do, you know, I, I know that we've, um, you know, we've, we've started some old tracks, especially this youngster. I've got the, the running walker. She's, she's real hot nosed. So if it's more than a few hours, she's not even gonna, she's not even gonna, she won't even show interest, but the youngster, he, he's tracked. I've put him on tracks that I know because I saw the Fox the day before we're over 24 hours old and he's been able to unravel that and get that Fox to the feet. Um, but that was in, you know, what I would say was fairly, fairly re- fairly favorable conditions it was it was cold it was maybe in the teens and there was a little bit of a there was a little bit of a breeze all the way down at the ground which i would have thought made it difficult and i think that to some degree that it 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 did but there was snow Mm -hmm. so what i saw what i noticed that he was doing is he was using his eyes and going from track to track track and every time he got to a track he would exhale and, and then like inhale. blow it out. Yeah, like like sniffle, like blow out through his nose, and then mm-hmm. take this big deep inhale breath, and then move to the next track. And and after after about an hour and a half, he he managed to bump that fox from out under a bush where it had bedded down, and then the race was on. But I don't know, like what, buddy? What would be an old track for you guys? Uh, yeah, yeah. man i don't even know there's so much discussion on on what a cold track is i mean a, right well for, i mean for cold your track for is, your is, hounds, you you and uh, your hounds conditions i mean it all depends yeah. on conditions i've had i mean i've watched cats cross the road in front of me and rain on top of snow and you think oh man we're gonna burn this we're gonna burn it up <laughs> and they just look at you like there's nothing there like like just look at you stone cold like so five minutes was an old track yeah that was a that was a that was a cold track and that then, was a cold track yeah you know what i mean and other times like you say it'd be cold and, and you know I've, I've heard buddies you know talk about situations where they they see a track you know it's a lion track and it's so cold and they're like you know they got their guidance so they have a, a client there and they're like yeah we should come back on this you know come back in a, in a couple hours and try this track and the clients just adamant that, you know, you should turn loose and, and run it. And mm. of course you turn, turn dogs loose. They can't run it. And you go drive around, look for another track. And it's like, well, let's go try that track, you know, two, three hours later. And, and the dog just Take smoke it. out of there. So right. I, I am not, man. I, I That's kind of the question I was going to ask you too. Cause I know I've seen it happen when you come back and the, 
the track's actually better the older it is, depending. Yeah. And the old timers used to always tell me if if you see it run across the road and you turn out before five minutes of waiting, you're not gonna catch it. You know, like that was just the rule. If right. you saw it, you had to give scent time to settle and there was this big big reasoning behind it. Um I think there's something to be said for that. I really do. Have you ever I really seen do. a dog run off site, buddy? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that that's something. Unless I mean, I, I, dogs will go check, even I mean, they're, if they're in the snow, they go they go check every track. You know, I mean, they'll go every in the and a, and a yeah, and a elk track or a deer track or what you know, they they won't bark, but you'll see them run over and go check a track. So I mean, I know they're looking at it, but yeah, that was a that was a concern of mine with with this young with this young dog because i got him in midsummer so i didn't really get him started on anything um until the snow had already the snow had already come down and because i'm only able to run one dog at a time i had to make sure that he was a he was able to function to a certain degree on his own in the forest you know that he wasn't you know a little tiny pup out there Mm -hmm. um so by the time i let him let him go there we were already on snow and i it got to the point where if he where he would go i I was afraid that he was almost exclusively going by sight you know because especially the the russian hound does have that sight hound in it that porzoi blood in there so he's got you know he's got the he's got the long nose he's got the height and i was a little bit afraid that he was actually depending a little bit too much on his eyes um so I, I actually took him down south and got him onto some dry ground um, in the later part of the winter to get him onto some foxes where he had to use his nose hmm. um, just to get him exposed to that as well. Right. How far of a drive is it for you to go down south? Uh, from, where, from where I was, where I was that time was only about three and a half hours from here. Do you have so, a lot of mentors over there? I mean, you get a lot of people that hunt in groups or, I mean, what, what's the, uh, very few actually. Um, the, I got lucky and, and hunted moose once with a guy who, who had hounds. Uh, he was where I got the, the, the running walker. She came from him. Um, she was my first hound. Right. And I, I only hunted with him. I only hunted with hounds with him once. And, uh, but he's, you know, if, uh, the times I've had questions, I've always been able to go and talk to him. And then, and then the people who are the breeders for the youngster I've got have, have become good friends of mine and, and have really, really helped me out the entire way with any questions I have about training, you know, cause I, I was a dog. I was a, I've been a dog trainer more or less all my life. I was a, I ran sled dogs for 25 years and there's a lot of similarities there. I was actually surprised how many similarities there were between, you know, in terms of training a sled dog versus training a hound. Uh, but there are some differences and they were, they were super helpful helping me navigate. Well, what's the major difference? So explain that going between a sled dog to a hound. I mean, what's, what's a good example of a similarity and what's a good example of a difference? Well, a good example of a similarity would be that so much of the success 
especially when you're looking at training a younger dog, so much of the success is going to depend on sort of two, two major factors. One of them being the natural ability of that dog. So, I mean, you could call it breeding, you could call it natural ability. The other thing being, um, the, the, your ability to communicate to that dog, what you want it to do. Um, or more, usually when you're talking about a dog acting on instinct, it, it would be more what you don't want it to do. So teaching it what you don't want it to do without ruining the overall experience for it. Right. So that was, um, that, that was a very big similarity for me anyway, with between the sled dogs, their, their natural tendency is just to run balls to the wall. Whereas what I'm asking them to do is to slow it down, be able to run, be out there, do the thing that they naturally want to do, but do it in a way that's a little bit more controlled than just a full like tongue out, tongue hanging out, the, slapping them in the eyes, sprint, right. where they're going to be able to do that for days and days. Because what I was doing was long distance um, dog mushing, you know, so we were doing 80, 90, 100 miles a day. Um, that was rare. We, most we did 80, 90, um, but a hundred was, that was a rare day. But I've, I found that to be similar with the hounds that you, it, it's trying to get them not to run trash without sort of destroying their desire to <laughs> want to run. Uh, want to run trash? Yeah. Want to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just don't want you to run this. We still want you to run. Right. St- do, do, do what I'm saying. Go, go far away from me. Unless I call you, and then I want you to come right to me. Yeah. And tra- trail these animals, but not that animal. Yeah. And so it, it, And only 15 minutes at a time. 15 minutes at a time. <laughs> right. 15 minutes at a time. The clock's ticking there, pal. Yeah. Do it quick. Um, right. You know, so those, the, the basic sort of dog psychology, I think, was pretty similar. You know, but the difference, the difference being, uh, the, the, the main difference being, between the sled dogs and the hounds is how closely you're able to work with those animals at any given time. Right. You know, with the sled dogs, you are physically attached to those dogs mm-hmm. at all times. They're t- they are tied to tied to each other, tied to a sled, and you're holding on to that sled. If you fall off, they're all going to go, and they're not going to be able to take care of themselves in any in any appreciable way, unless you're with them. You're putting them in a situation where. Do you have if, any train wrecks in that sled dog days? Oh, <laughs> really <man>. smooth. <laughs> you got another hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, how long do you have? I have. I have. Epic I like train the wrecks. best ones. I like the. I like the ones where it hurts when you tell me the story. That's the ones <laughs> I want to. All right, I'll t- I'll tell you. A, I'll tell you a good story. We had a. We had a Norwegian here who was training for the Iditarod, which is the longest most prestigious sled dog race in the world right she had run it several times before she was at our place training in the mountains because it's so steep here and we've got some pretty gnarly trails that are that are sort of comparable to some of the gnarlier sections in the iditarod she was here training for about a month and the day before the first race of the season she got sick and she was like well you know these trails and you know my dogs pretty well at this point would you mind running them through this race? And I was like, oh yeah, that's no problem. So I, I harnessed up and I took off and I was going down this hill and about 40 teams had gone in front of me 
and they'd all hit their brake going down this hill. So they'd managed to wear all of, scrape all the snow away. And my brake caught on a stump. And that's, and that whole team, I had 16 dogs in front of the sled, that whole team stopped on a dime. And oh. I went up and over the handlebars and landed past the first set of dogs at the end of my sled. So I, I flew about nine feet oh, man. <laughs> in the air and the gang line broke. The gang line being the thing, the rope that attaches the dogs to the sled. Right. In front of the back dog. So when I sort of got, got up and got myself oriented, I could see a team disappearing over the horizon. And I looked back at my sled and there were two, two of the biggest, dumbest dogs, two dogs. and me standing there. <laughs> so we, had, we had to start running. I had, I had slammed myself so hard. I mean, so hard. I was seeing stars and tasting pennies. And uh, luckily we caught the team again, but just the thought of like, I'm watching this poor woman's Iditarod dreams. Just fade away into the sunset. Just fade away into the sunset. Because correct me if I'm wrong, those back dogs are like your new ones. Good training, isn't that? Isn't that some kind of training in that whole situation? That you, your uh, <laughs> adversity well, training or something? I mean, there's got to be some kind of training you were doing that day. She needed new equipment because it broke. That's what he right, learned. Right, exactly. It's <laughs> like I, I saved you the problem. I saved you the trouble of having this happen during I did her. Yeah, you did her a favor, really. No, but she was she was really good about it, and luckily, um, the uh, the funniest thing was that you know sometimes when the gang line breaks, the dogs sort of bunch up and get kind of tangled up, and then you usually find them pretty quick. But <laughs> they're just piled case, up like a big old train rack. Right, exactly. But in this case, this team was so well trained that they just kept it nice and lined out. And the worst part was that they managed to pass four or five teams before somebody realized that there wasn't a sled behind them. Got them <laughs> well, they cut the dead weight, Bear. They left you sitting back right. there. They were bummed when I caught up to them. They were like, oh, man. This is There's the anchor. Here's the tub of lard back caught up to us. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Oh, man. So, but now, other than that, the uh, I've had some bad wrecks. I went through the ice once and frostbit my face my feet pretty good uh that kind of stuff so now wow. you just stick to hunting because it's, it's now safer. i just stick to hunting yeah guns and rabid foxes is safer <laughs> way safer than sled dogs <laughs> huh yeah so that, that that whole sled dog thing like i said I, it sounds i don't even know if it sounds fun to be honest with you going that fast how fast do those sleds get going i mean well if you're doing a sprint race, like the shorter, the shorter stuff, they do some of these small, these small sprint races, uh, or I say, I call them small. They're not small at all. Um, short sprint races, they're getting up to, you know, in the high 20 miles per hour. Right. What's that sled weigh? That sled weighs nothing. I mean that we're talking eight pounds of carbon fiber. That's a spendy sled is what you're saying. That's a, oh yeah, that's a. Those sleds are, are gnarly. My sled weighs closer to 40 pounds. And our, our like sit down and travel speed, that's the speed that they can keep up for days and days and days is about 10, between 8 and 10 miles per hour. Okay. So pretty impressive. Yeah, but they can keep that up. For, and yours is just heavier because you got more gear. I mean, it's just heavier duty. 
yeah we've got a lot more gear um so we're, we are we are carrying more weight we also have to be prepared at all times to you know we're, we're out there we're so far out there you know I, I talk about it like i'm still doing it but we were so far out there that if a dog suddenly got injured or there was any kind of a problem we needed to be prepared to put that dog into the sled and carry that dog so it, we needed to have everything in order to take care of ourselves and a 16 dog team for several days because that's the other reality of especially here in norway and i mean in alaska it's the same it wasn't so bad in maine but here in norway we're above tree line pretty much instantly you know once we start out from here it doesn't take more than a half an hour until we're above tree line and the wind and storms can come up so fast and it is not you know it, it's happened where the trail is blown in and you're kind of in the middle of nowhere you can't see anything it's the middle of the night where you just need to kind of you know stomp a trench into the snow and get the dogs get their jackets on get them some beds get them some warm food and get yourself some warm food and crawl down in a sleeping bag and wait for the storm to go by hmm. but then you want a sled that's going to be capable of accommodating the equipment necessary to do that hmm. um so i like uh I, I do like the uh the communication aspect of it between with the hounds i like that you know if i suddenly have a heart attack out there he's going to be fine you know well <laughs> he'll find Buzz his way back be, to town he'll find his way back to town he'll find his way to some farm you know he's not tied to he's not tied to 16 other dogs that are you know just as dumb as he is <laughs> yeah <laughs> The, the hound's just gonna let you figure it out yourself, and he's gonna be like, "I'll, I'll go, I'll go chase this while you go figure your shit out." Man, right, I'm exactly. on my 15 minute break. You figure out what you're doing. I'm gonna go chase something. You get to the doctor, get yourself better, and come over here, and we'll figure the rest of it out. But I'll hold this, I'll hold this in while you go to town. Right, exactly. It's like oh, I'm just gonna keep trucking here. Yeah. Good luck. Sounds All like right. them huskies didn't care that you were you were stopped though. <laughs> they they they, they, they didn't care. They didn't care at all. They were, it wasn't my team. So that, it, that made some of a difference. I've definitely had my own teams that have dusted me before, but I've, I've had some, I, I was lucky enough in my career to have a couple of really good lead dogs over the years. And uh, two of them have turned teams around to come and get me hmm, really? when, I, uh, when I got ditched. That's interesting. I got thrown off. Yeah, that was, talk about a, questioning your sanity kind of a thing you look up and see a team coming at you and you're like that's a dog team that's my dog team <laughs> that's a way better <laughs> feeling than watching them disappear over the sunset right oh absolutely <laughs> coming your way is a lot better that's a good feeling yeah they just pass you just keep going <laughs> my dog's like right get you back we're going this way for a while we'll oh. see you back in the truck pal yeah yeah right oh that's interesting well, They're a good bunch. I think we're probably should think about wrapping this up. Yeah, yeah it's good so, to talk to you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Do you it's come a, back to the states to often, or you you pretty much stay over there? Um, I try I try to get back every uh, every year. Um, it hasn't happened this year because of the, uh, the COVID nineteen stuff. How are they How are they dealing with it over there? They are shutting down. Norway was one of the countries that kind of took the New Zealand. I don't know if you've kind of kept kept up with oh, I have not. over there. Now they they shut the whole country down. 
like real shut it down. So people aren't allowed to come in. Um, you're allowed to leave, but then you may have issues getting back in a lot of quarantines, a lot of things like that. So, yeah, it well, became, was, it was right away too, wasn't it? Cause I know yeah, our family like, in Luxembourg was like, they just shut it down. Like you're done. Yeah. That it was, it was almost immediately. I remember like registering. I remember it sort of vaguely registering in, in my periphery that oh, this, this Corona thing, this might actually be a big deal. And like, I got a call that you need to come and get the kids. Schools are closing it there. There, this is, this is it. <laughs> this is not a test. This is not a test. This is uh prepare to be home. And I hope, uh, I hope y'all like each other because you're going to be spending a lot of time <laughs> together. <laughs> hope you picked a good wife. Man. <laughs> Divorce <laughs> attorneys are ramping up advertising right now. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, some horrible uh horrible reality television show yeah but real life yeah so i haven't made it back for um it's actually been a while yeah so i was uh i had uh had an issue with uh i i fell off of a roof and uh needed to be uh spent some time in the hospital needed to be operated on things like that so uh that kept me away that kept me from being on a plane for <laughs> quite a while and then I was, I had already, the tickets were, were bought for the next, or I guess my folks had bought tickets here was what it was. Um, when the whole Corona thing happens, it's actually been yeah, a couple of years since I've been back, but I'd like, I'm hoping to get back here, get back into the rhythm of getting back every year. Have, get over here and have a good beer. Yeah. Yeah. Get over here, have a good beer and a bagel. A bagel? Yeah. A bagel. <laughs> A steak, a bagel, we got steak for dinner, a bagel for breakfast, and we're gonna have beer hole. All three. <laughs> That's right. Right on. I'm man. gonna have beer beer for breakfast and yeah. <laughs> beers and bagels. Perfect. Beers and bagels for three meals a day. <laughs> <laughs> Smuggle it back in there. Perfect. Well, thanks right. for coming on, man. And see, buddy, I told you you could understand him. We were going to be just yeah. We were, we were talking before. I said, like, "I ain't going to understand this guy." He's like, "He's from Maine." I'm like, "That doesn't have to answer my question." Am I still going to be able to understand <laughs> this guy? Well, I, I tried to resist the urge of you know throwing on the thick down eastern Maine accent and uh, and mess. Yeah, you're like guys. trilingual now, right? Yeah, I can speak. Uh, I can speak old time Mainer. I can speak English, and I can speak. Uh, <laughs> I can speak Norwegian. There you go. That's perfect. Well, hey, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on with us. Oh, so much fun. Thank you guys a lot. Yeah, you bet. All right, we'll talk to you soon. We'll talk to you guys.